0: The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab, episode 823 for Monday, July 6th, 2020. (laughs) to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions, your t- and well, we don't answer your tips. I mean, sometimes we do, but usually we just share your tips and your cool stuff found with perhaps some context because the goal is for all of us, and that's us included, uh, to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Just one thing, John? Or five things? Two. Two? Okay. <laughs> It's a holiday week. Maybe that's why. Uh, Sponsors for this episode include linode.com/slash mgg, expressvpn.com/slash mgg, ancestry.com/slash mgg, and smilesoftware.com/slash podcast. We'll tell you why we would love for you to visit all of those URLs uh, throughout the show here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is. John F. Braun. How you doing today, Mr. John F. Braun? Um, uh, just, you know,
1: opening Braun. up slowly but surely. Like, yeah. Like everybody else. Yeah. Well, not everybody else. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Right. It's at different speeds. That's right. Yeah. We, um, on my Gig Gab podcast, we interviewed a guy on Monday. It's a podcast for musicians. So if you want to listen, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but we interviewed a guy from New Zealand. On Monday, and and I, we talked about all his. He's into the looping and like tech cool tech stuff on the on the music side, but uh, we asked him, you know, what's what's it like? And he said, yeah. He says, you know, we can touch each other again. I thought, oh, what an interesting, like, th- like, like, what an interesting summation of of that. So yeah. So anyway, slowly but slowly. Hey, uh, speaking of protecting ourselves, last week we had a question. Actually, we had a listener tip. That who said, "Hey, you know, instead of installing the big servetas on a separate drive, you could just with APFS, you can just add a volume and install them in there." And in fact, that's what we've done in the past with with other OSs. You know, most notably Catalina. Turns out, very, very bad idea. So don't listen to my advice from last week. Listen to John F. Bronze because John, without knowing any details, said, eh, "I don't know that that sounds like a good idea." Turns out. It's not a good idea, and you dug into this a little bit like it 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 doesn't destroy any of your data, but doing this makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to do any future updates to your Catalina uh, installation if it's sharing a container with big Sur is that uh, am I close on this John um well that seems to be the information that
1: we got here um the the only thing i saw dave installing it on a separate drive yeah is that so if i booted from my catalina machine and then i also had the uh beta on the external drive when i booted catalina catalina at one point says uh yeah by the way um i'm seeing a disk with a partition that i don't understand just thought you'd like to know. And I'm like, and I kind of ignored it because sure. everything worked. And the other thing I noticed is that at one point, every now and then I'll run a disc first aid on my disc. And it also noted something in the list of things. It was warning um a newer version of APFS uh touched me. Just thought you'd like
0: to know. Oh, that's a newer version of APFS. That's interesting. I wonder what's, different we got to dig maybe we need to ask some friends um we got to dig and figure out what what has changed in APFS i know well it could well be that time machine in big sur now at least in the betas and i would presume this this feature would hold hold over now works to back up to APFS partitions because in in the release versions of macOS it has only been including Catalina it can only back up to HFS+. It can back up from an APFS par- partition but it needs to go to HFS+. So but it, even that's kind of weird. It seems like it's non-optimal the way I think uh, Howard Oakley dug into it over at Eclectic Light and and Michael Sai Uh, sort of pulled together a lot of information on it as well. It's, it's, it's a weirdly flagged thing for the time machine backup. It's, it's a backup partition. It can't use hard links because those don't exist. And so there's this weird, almost feels like a workaround, which of course, time machine, the way it did it initially was also a workaround in HFS plus. So I'm, I'm curious what Apple's future vision of time machine is to, to volumes like that. So, but anyway, Um, Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, so don't install Big Sur on the same container. Somebody wrote in and asked, look, can I install it on a different partition on the same drive? And the answer is that that is turns out to be safer. But it's really weird on APFS creating a different partition. In fact, it's very you have to really force disk utility to do that. It will, in most other cases, just say, look, yeah, we're going to create a volume instead because you don't actually want another partition. So if you know what you're doing and you can force it into partition mode, then sure. But otherwise, separate drive. When the uh, Presumably, this will this issue will continue while the public beta comes out, but we don't know. This, this could just be a first developer beta thing and then maybe it goes away. But anyway, there you go. Any more thoughts on that before we get to some questions, John, about uh, we get some iCloud issues today that. uh, Uh, Yeah. All right. right, Cool. Larry uh, starts us off and says, um, my iPhone 7 plus seems to be unable to send photos in iMessage. My wife was sitting right next to me and sent me a picture and said it was loading, but a long wait time. Then it times out. Previously, he says, I attempted to send a couple of pictures to a friend and they were not deliverable. Although I can call Verizon, he says, I'm wondering if there's a setting somewhere in iMessage or elsewhere that's prompting this bad behavior. Um, So this is one of those things, John, you know, as this came in, I started racking my brain. Like, what would cause this? If you can send iMessages, why couldn't you then also just like an iMessage is an iMessage? I thought, well, okay. And maybe... Maybe it was be, maybe Larry kind of subconsciously knew what the answer was because he mentioned he could call Verizon and and on the surface, even reading it now, I would say, well, iMessage is just a data connection, so shouldn't matter. But what we found worked was and this is one of those weird things on iOS. Go to settings, general reset and choose reset network settings. This wipes out all your your Wi-Fi networks. On your device, it wipes out all your VPNs on your device and resets the network stack so that there's no more things tied in knots. Once you connect again, if you have everything synced with iCloud, your uh, your Wi-Fi networks will come back down. You'll have to reset up your VPNs. Uh, But this solved Larry's issue. So it's one of those interesting things, John, where it does like. Clearly, this is there for a reason. You know, there there aren't all kinds. There aren't 15 different resets. There's like erase everything. Or by the way, here's this one thing, reset network settings. Uh, my guess is that Apple has found this to be helpful for them in troubleshooting uh, more often than not. So, yes, try that in these weird kind of it's it feels like a network thing, but I'm not exactly sure what scenarios. I don't know. Have you have you I've found it solved weird things for me in the past John. Have you found it solve weird things for you too? No. No. Okay. No, I don't think I've ever had to to
1: use that particular
0: huh. particular tool. Huh. Interesting. That's well good for you. I mean, I hey, more power. But but remember that it's there, my friends. All right. Uh Cass man, Cass has an issue. Cass says since upgrading to the new Apple reminders uh, for both iOS 13 and Catalina last fall, I've had persistent syncing and stability problems with iCloud reminders syncing enabled the associated process remind D on my Mac keeps using hundred percent CPU all the time, makes my Mac run hot and slow. Even after waiting for an hour, this persists as well as the syncing problems. The only workaround I've found is to permanently disable reminders syncing and not use Apple Reminders, both on Mac and on iOS. This at least avoids the Mac getting stuck in a sync loop and Remindee from hogging my CPU. On iOS, battery life seems affected by having reminders syncing enabled. Reminders data syncing does not work properly in either direction, not on my Mac and not on iOS. Syncing is completely stuck on some old iCloud data. Any changes, including deletion, are repeatedly and almost immediately overwritten by outdated data. There is also a shared reminders list from which I cannot reliably unsubscribe. Using the iCloud.com web interface, I've also been unable to flush out the old data reliably or unsubscribe from the shared lists. Web searching has turned up only a few mentions of this problem, so it does not seem to be widespread. They suggested turning it on and off again, iCloud log out and log in, turning reminders syncing on and off. I tried this, he says, but it did not change anything, even after repeated tries. I found one mention where the problem uh, did not persist if an empty new iCloud account was used, pointing in the direction of something being faulty about one's iCloud account. And he lists all of the things he tried, including a safe boot and force quitting this process and all of this. So it it and I will. Uh. I will say that in troubleshooting this, John, I now have this problem. So I I think it's more widespread than we might think. Back in the fall, iCloud has always allowed two ways of accessing your calendars and therefore also your reminders. Number one is through whatever syncing mechanism iCloud uses. Uh, Also, you can use the... uh, publicly, you know, web-standard CalDAV protocol, which was developed by by Apple. It was actually one guy, this guy, Red Dutta, led the team. But anyway, it was a standard, but it is a standard now. And as with standards, everybody implements it a little bit differently, but, you know, that's how that goes. Um, When they changed the new reminders paradigm in the fall, which allowed some new features to be used and all of that, they sort of broke the the connection there. So while you can still sync with Apple's servers using CalDAV, whatever you're doing there does not match to what iCloud syncs. So it's almost like you can store two completely different sets of data that are never shared on Apple's servers anymore. But in that transition, some things were left on one side and some things were left on the other And it appears some things were left in the middle and it's this middle stuff that seems to be the problem because I primarily use BusyCal to do all of my calendaring and it um, it will read from your local reminders database. If so, if you want to use Apple's reminders, but it's limited, you can't do recurring things the way that you would want. So I've just stuck with Caldav over there, but that means I cannot use the reminders app to see that same data and I'm okay with that. That's fine. Uh, when it but but when that split happened now i have new data on the reminders side and turning on reminders syncing started causing this exact problem in fact before we recorded the show i noticed this computer here in the studio also had the remind d process running at 100 and i thought well you know recording audio and video and streaming video and all that stuff maybe not uh the best thing so uh, I I just turned off. I went into iCloud settings and and turned it off. Uh, what we have found though, Cass has gotten to the other side of this, which is good. Um, what he found was that um, you have to uh, you have to let reminders syncing turn itself on, and then if you add a new list on your Mac that will surface all of this data that was in the middle. So when you add this new list, suddenly you might get like five other lists to appear, which is weird, but hey, that's how it goes. And then you can't just delete those lists. You have to go into those lists and delete the content. So select all of the reminders in each list, delete them. Then you can go and delete the list. And then the next time you add a new list, it won't come back. So it's this. This is a mess. This is not what users should have to do, uh, but it is what we have to do, um, at least until Apple can solve this problem. And I don't know what that what their solution looks like. Unfortunately, you the only thing you can do on iCloud.com dot com with reminders, John, is. See your existing lists and manipulate them, but you cannot add a new list on iCloud.com. dot com. So I can't tell whether these, you know, middle lists exist. I think they exist locally in the iCloud cache or whatever that is. But I've tried removing what I think are the iCloud caches, much against the, any advice you'll read anywhere. Um, but I've tried removing those, and they still come back. So they're, they're either somewhere else or they're coming from iCloud. But I don't think they are because I've never once seen them make it to iCloud. Um, I do have one machine, my machine in the office that appears to be on the other side of this now in that I can add new lists. They appear on iCloud, which they which they won't if you have any of this like middle ground syncing issue. So it's it's add a new list on your Mac and also on your phone, because as soon as I did it on my phone and my iPad, I saw these these mystery things. So add a new list. Let the mystery show up. Go in erase the contents of these these not mystery lists i mean you'll you'll recognize them it's your old data erase that then erase the list and erase do that until you get everything and then add a new list to test to see if there's more data in the middle cuz sometimes there is so it's a mess john but we can get there together we will we will get there so it, it, it there is an i cloud of uncertainty my friend I don't know. Sorry. I can't help myself sometimes. (laughs) Any thoughts on this? My guess is you're not, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you are experiencing this problem. I
1: actually don't use, for whatever reason, i I never enable reminders via iCloud.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Then, then just don't use it.
1: Sure. Um, I did see references to this problem though, where, um, yeah, people would say remind D yeah it's just churning some people say, Well, yeah, it'll do that for a while and then it it'll stop it's doing some databasey stuff or synky stuff, or well, the other case here is that well, it doesn't I mean, it doesn't kill the stop. process off, but yeah that, yeah, that's gonna break something else.
0: My feeling is, and we saw this back in the old days with Mac when that first syncing you know came around is that there's usually. When, you, when you're talking about a Mac and iCloud or, I mean, an iOS device and iCloud too, but it, there's usually three copies of your data involved in a syncing operation. There's the one in iCloud that you can see and use. There's the one on your Mac that you can see and use. And then there's a middle set that your Mac uses to compare and and contrast and do, you know, um, any any conflict resolution on or whatever. And I think it's that middle set on our Macs that is messed up here for, for lack of a better term. I wonder, actually, this would be a good test to set up a new Mac or even just a new user account, sign it into the same iCloud account, but fresh user account, right? This way we could totally isolate where the issue is. So I don't know. That's any more thoughts on this, John? (sighs) Trying to remember, we had
1: someone tell us about an iCloud tool. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what it is to uh they'll kind of look at your iCloud stuff and give you a summary and tell you how everything's working,
0: though I don't recall what it is off the top of my head. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, if anybody comes up with it, feedback at MacGeekCab.com is where we love to hear from you. Yep. You heard right, folks. Feedback at MacGeekHub.com. No, oh, it is. It's feedback at com. Unless you happen to be here at live.MacGeekHub.com when we're recording the show, because then you could be like Kiwi Graham, who just asked, I thought BusyCal works okay with the new reminders. So it does. You can, if you have uh, reminders on your Mac in iCloud, BusyCal will see them. It will take advantage of iCloud syncing. BusyCal won't do the syncing itself, but it will populate and read from and change the iCloud, the local iCloud database. And then your iCloud syncing sort of takes care of it from there, which is great. I, when this first came out, there were several features. I like to do recurring reminders that trigger from other things that, that is possible with CalDAV that at least initially was not possible with iCloud's reminders. So I was going to lose some functionality uh, that I sort of rely on in my workflow. So I thought, well, it's fine. I, I live in BusyCal most of the time. Anyway, I don't need Apple's reminders. So that's kind of why I had just ignored it until Cass's question came in. And then, and then of course I, I unleashed a world of hurt upon myself, but, but now John, I am like committed to making sure that I get to the other side of this, whatever it takes. Um, Paul Franz says deleting the contents of the list on the back end is probably the solution. Maybe if the if the list exists on the back end, and by back end I'm interpreting that as iCloud, I'm not convinced the list does exist on the back end. Man, I I think it I think it's only local on all of my devices. But the only way to test that is you know I have that iPhone eight uh, sorry iPhone SE that I think I just set up fresh. I don't. I but it is logged into my iCloud account so I should be able to launch reminders there and add a new list and see if the the list populates with the with the ghost data and if it does then we know the answer we know it lives on iCloud and it doesn't just live locally. I will test this but not right now because I've got a thing I'm doing here John. So we should keep doing this thing. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh because we we spent 11 minutes on that one. Uh Patrick has A great question that I will find here while I'm busy vamping. Where the heck is it? There it is. Uh, Also, iCloud related. He says, I'm having a problem on all my Macs now for a while related to my address book. In my address book, I am not able to see the inside of my smart group criteria. If I try to create a new uh, smart group or edit an old one, it is not possible to see any of the criteria. I've tried the following. I've deleted the preference files. I've deleted cache files. I've deleted the whole address book and started from scratch. I even tried logging in as a newly created user and tried to create a new smart group there, meaning that it seems not to be a user level problem. This all started when I initially upgraded to High Sierra. And uh, he says, now all my machines are running Mojave. The problem seems to be purely graphical in the contacts app. The existing smart groups all work fine. And if I, as he uses the term he uses is blind tab. So knowing how the interface works, he can tab through uh, as though it's going through. And he says, I can change my criteria this way. Uh, and it, even as I'm doing it, he says, I'm able to make things visible but I'm not willing to step through my criteria blindly for the rest of my life this way. Although my guess is if you used accessibility, you could probably get it to tell you what you're not seeing, right? I mean, that's literally what that's made for. So like, obviously not the way it's supposed to work, but this could be a workaround. So I will say I've had this issue that you are describing. I've also had the other one, uh, where in the contacts app, I couldn't edit the distribution list of a group smart or otherwise. So if you add, you know, five people to a, a group, like there's one that I, I seem to have to edit all the time. And it's the one for one of the bands that I'm in. we, you know, we have an email list because one of the guys doesn't have a smartphone, and so we can't use Slack for that band, which is just weird. But anyway, hey, you know, to, to each our own, I suppose. Uh, but we can't text him either, which is, you know, frustrating at times. But anyway, um, the – you know, we, so we use an email list. And for whatever reason, the, the, the preferred email address of people changes uh, over time. I guess that's sort of normal. And so I want to go in and and once you create a group in address book, you can highlight the group and go to the edit menu. I think it's the edit menu and choose edit distribution list. And what that shows you is all the email addresses of each person. And then you click on the one that you want it to use when you type like this band's name is fling. So I named the group fling. And when I type fling, it, it expands out to all of the email addresses that I wanted to use. Could not edit that distribution list to save my life. It was using it but I could not get there. I would open the window and it was blank, just like what Patrick's talking about here. 10 dot, I believe 5.4 fixed this problem for me on all of my Macs. So, but it, it existed all through Mojave or at least through the later builds of Mojave and, and certainly into the initial builds of Catalina. So there's, there's, you've got a, you're, you're dealing with an issue that is only solvable by, Well, either downgrading or upgrading, in my experience, maybe somebody else will will know the difference. I don't know. So. Thoughts, Mr. Braun? Mm, Nope. All right. It's Sunday morning, which means uh, people near you are going to ride their loud vehicles by your home.
1: Oh, yeah. I think I just heard a scooter go by. Ah, is that what that was? Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: Uh Yes. All right. Dolores brings us to uh, another iCloud-ish question. Uh, let's see. I was wondering if you could help me with a problem on my dad's notes. He said he did not accidentally delete his notes, but just uh, opened up the notes folder on his phone one day to discover them missing. All the usual fixes, including logging into iCloud.com, checking to make sure the notes are syncing across his accounts, etc., have failed to deliver the missing notes. I've never heard of this happening before. My dad is not tech savvy, but I know he wouldn't have intentionally deleted tons of notes that he relies on every day. I've been investigating and trying new ideas as I come across them, but so far, no luck. The only thing I can say for sure is that his iCloud storage was full for months before this happened. He has since bought more space, uh, but obviously that didn't solve the problem. So, yeah, the... (sighs) I mean, we'll never know how they got deleted. Could have been user error, could have been some fluke, but I've heard of no such flukes. But there are third-party apps that can read and write to your notes database if you give them permission. So maybe one of those kind of wipe things out. Uh, The only thing to do at this point, I think, but I'm always open to learning at least a new thing, sometimes five, uh, is to restore from a backup. If they're gone on iCloud as well, as all your devices, you know, that means it's not a syncing problem or anything like that. Uh, It means they were removed, right? Apple might be able to help restore these on iCloud, which obviously would be ideal. I would call them quickly because deleted data tends to have an expiration date. Uh, iCloud offers automatic restores and user prompted restores of several things, but notes isn't among them. But if you go to your, it kind of is. Oh, tell me. Well, okay. if
1: you go to the uh, yeah, so um, they may have been deleted. The good news is that so um, I'm running the Notes application now. Okay, so if you click on the icon that just sh- says Show Folders, that shows you a list of the stuff stored in iCloud, and there's a Notes category, and then there's a Recently Deleted category. Right. So Notes itself retains deleted notes for a certain amount of time. Interesting. So All look right. there. So you, you may have not intentionally deleted, but one of the features, if you have your note space in iCloud, is sure. that it it has a memory. Um, Interesting. And I think, and I think as you pointed out, iCloud also. So if you go to iCloud on the web and you go to account settings, um, let me look here. Uh, in the lower left-hand corner of that screen is restore files, restore contacts, restore calendars and reminders, and restore bookmarks, but not restore notes. Right. Because right. the feature is kind of built into notes. God. Now, the other thing is that you can say restore f- files, and then it'll l- give you a list of recently deleted iCloud files. Now, I don't know if, uh, though I don't think that's that's the right w- Way to do this. Okay. Okay. No, I think the recently, de- check the recently deleted category and, and hopefully they'll be there. I like this idea. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I've, I've had, yeah, I've, I've accidentally deleted things. Yeah. On occasion. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just sometimes you fumble finger and it's like, whoops, but, uh. Yeah. Uh, so, right. So hopefully that category is,
0: is present. Nice. on On the account. Yeah, that's great. All oh, right. That makes sense. That's why it's not on iCloud because it's built into the to the client app to to retain that stuff at least for a little while. Very good. Uh let's see there's a couple of things from the uh from the chat room here. Uh well, actually the web view also
1: shows it actually shows it a little better. It's it's some oh. it's hidden in the app unless you you have the uh iCloud view. Oh, but, uh, how do you get the iCloud view in the app? Well, there's a, a uh, you can either go to the view menu, oh, and okay. say the view as gallery. Yep. The thing is, normally you just see your notes. You may not see the, the, the sidebar that lists the recently deleted category.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. If you're not looking at yeah, if you don't have that sidebar up, you wouldn't necessarily see that category. You wouldn't see that category.
1: Got it. Right. Got it. But, okay. Um, but the web view, um,
0: uh, I guess, defaults to showing that sidebar. Mm. So. Oh, so that might be an easier slash better way mm. to do it. Just get to the web view and, and restore from there. Very cool. Somebody else says, please recommend iMazing. So uh, no one gets caught. Agreed. I I love iMazing, and it it allows you to store these local backups and do them automatically, even over Wi-Fi. Oh, right, right. Right. You know, and then, and then you can granularly restore, you know, just your notes or even, I think you can even see them right in the, in the Mm amazing interface. So yeah, cool. Uh, all right. I would love to take, um, we have some cool stuff found coming up, some great cool stuff found coming up. We have some great sponsors coming up. And so I would love to take a minute right now, if it's okay with you, Mr. Braun and talk about our first two sponsors fantastic. All right. Look, I know a lot of us employ, you know, private browsing or incognito mode in our browsers to make sure that whatever we're doing there is sort of, you know, kept from prying eyes. Well, you know, the thing is that Private browsing slash incognito mode doesn't really hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your ISP, your internet service provider, can still see every single website you visited. And that's why, yet another reason, why our sponsor ExpressVPN is a great thing to use even if you're still at home. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon or Comcast or opt online. It, it doesn't matter. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell our information to ad companies. Not good. ExpressVPN reroutes our internet connection through ExpressVPN secure servers so that our ISPs can't see the sites we visit. And because of the way ExpressVPN has built their trusted servers up, it's actually really cool. They, the servers can't store your data. They're all run from like RAM disks. And, and when you turn off the server, there's nothing left. There's no history or anything. It just comes back up. I, I love the way ExpressVPN works because it's so simple. It's one click and it's on and it stays on. Like that's it's huge. And you, you can go in. like If you want to get geeky, you can go into your browser and have it only affect certain apps so that, you know, maybe your email isn't going through your VPN and your browser is like if you get to configure it any way you want. You got to check it out and you can protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. We have an exclusive link for you, expressvpn.com slash MGG, where you can get an extra three months free on your one year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash MGG. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Have your grandparents done something cool that you know about? I've mentioned on the show before that my grandparents, my grandfather in particular, is the one who invented those oval shaped binocular viewing machines that you see at, you know, tourist traps all over the country. When we can travel again, you'll see them. Trust me, they're there. You've seen them before. Well, what about your grandparents, grandparents? Who were they? Like all of that stuff, you know, it's been more than 75 years since world war II, And, You can find out all this information at Ancestry.com slash MGG because your family's probably got a ton of stories and you can use this data to sort of piece together your family's past. It's very, very cool what they're doing over there and they've dug in. They even have this cool thing where they've got a U.S. draft card collection from World War II with over 36 million draft cards and it's cool to see these things with their handwriting on them. I mean, it's just pieces of history and it's funny You can just go and browse through it. Very, very cool. So you've got to check it out. And you might even be able to find the draft card of one of your family members there. I know, it's really cool, and it shows things like home address and their physical description and all that stuff that was filled out on those draft cards back way back when. So you can find and honor your ancestors who served in World War II. You can get a new take on your ancestors' World War II experience, and you can just discover things about your family. In fact, discover your untold stories and more by heading to our URL, which is Ancestry.com slash MGG. Start discovering your stories today. Again, it's Ancestry.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Ancestry for doing this cool stuff and sponsoring this episode. All right, Mr. Braun, let's go to our cool stuff found. Ronald uh, tells us about two. He says, I discovered a clipboard manager called Paste at PasteApp.io. He says it's visual, easy to access, and get to saved clips as well as easy to customize. It's not free, but it's not expensive at $9.99 per year, or there's a monthly price as well. He says this is the best one I've found, and I've tried many. Number two, he says, as for PDF handling, if you're saving academic papers, readcube papers at papersapp.com does a great job of syncing across devices and platforms, gets all of the paper metadata, and can export citations as well. It's not for all, he says, but if you're into this sort of thing, it's a good deal at somewhere between three and five bucks a month, probably monthly versus annual pricing. So thanks, Ron. That's great. Pretty cool. Thoughts on either of those, John, before we move on to Carlos here? Moving on. Moving on. Carlos brings us back in show 819. We were talking about encrypting files And Carlos says, I thought I'd mention one of my favorite tools that makes my life easier in this area, and it's Cryptomator at Cryptomator.org. It started as open source and is still donationware on macOS, but if you want it for iOS, it's $9 on the iOS App Store. Cryptomator is – it's sort of – it's built – you can do a lot of different things with it, but it's built for cloud storage so that you can encrypt something – and then put it up on the cloud, and know that your data is, you know, encrypted, regardless of, of what's happening there. Um, and they they have um, integration with things like uh, Cyberduck, which is an FTP client, so it can automatically look inside these Cryptomator archives, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I i like i like this stuff so. Thanks, Carlos. Did you check out Cryptomator, John?
1: No, I took a peek at it. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, it's it's cross-platform, so... Right. Uh, which was the uh, desire of a person wanting this, so... That's right. That's nice.
0: Cool. You want to take us uh, to a new thing uh, you found this week? Yeah, right? so we, we
1: got a, a... Well, if you either run the thing desktop um, you may have gotten notification that, Hey, they just came out with version 2.0, which is really neat. Um, and so what's in 2.0, you may be asking. And, um, so there's two things. So one is they include a bunch of free tools that you can probably find elsewhere, but Hey, it's nice to have them in here too. So ping port scan, DNS, lookup, trace route, wake on land, DHCP, DHCP discovery, and a Wi-Fi scan. So, um, So they're in there and then they have some premium features. I wonder where they got that idea from, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which looked pretty neat. And I I checked a couple of them. Um, I actually don't know the cost of this because they were like, hey, we'd like you to check it out. So um, so both you and I got promoted to premium. Uh, So we're like double premium now. Right. I mean, um, but here we go. So so they offer. um, Let's see. A router vulnerability scan to check and close ports left by game consoles, etc. And I actually did try this feature. And sure enough, it showed some ports open um, from the UPnP thing. So that's interesting. Um, So it gives you a better idea of what's happening in your network. Um, Network intrusion detection, another premium feature. Where you'll get alerts and notifications when weird devices join your network Um monitoring. It'll do network monitoring, which it did before um, and network events. So I guess this is a heavy duty or more health checks. And th- they did this before it w- as well. Um, what the, the the version one dot or pre 2.0 would do sometimes and actually it was kind of annoying sometimes is it would be like hey i can't re- reach office 365 or hey i can't reach uh skype and i can't so they had a, a pre-determined list of things that they would check to see if they're up and if you know they weren't up or it thought they weren't up, then you get a notification. So here you can now customize that because like, I don't care about office 365 because I don't have it. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. Right. Checking that.
0: Yeah. Knock it, right. um, so knock it off. Yeah.
1: <laughs> let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, you can export your, uh, network info to a XLS file, which is some standard way of representing stuff.
0: Okay. Well, XLS is an Excel file, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. XL Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah xls or xlsx depending on which version of Excel. Right, 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 right yep yep
1: cool okay so that's good um uh, what else here uh scan specific network interface and a local api to unlock the content for all your integrations
0: so oh that's cool huh so uh yeah so uh so thanks guys Yeah. Yeah. No. And I pulled up pricing It's seven bucks a month. And there's also an annual plan that that, uh, changes that. But but yeah, you can you can, like John says, you can get the thing that identifies devices and checks your Internet speed and monitors for outages. That's all. That's all still free from uh, fing.com. So pretty good. Uh, Donna, in the last episode, we were talking about creating a lock screen that had some of your Uh, important medical information or contact information or any of that on it so that you could, you know, have someone who finds your phone and or your phone and you help you or get your phone back to you. Well, Donna recommends an app called ICE Medical Standard, ICE Medical Standard. ICE, of course, standing for in case of emergency. And it it is an iOS app that. Allows you to very easily create lock screens that have all this information and it's built so that when, you know, the phone is there and or the time is there and all that stuff, it's out of the way of that it's, you know, it's just somebody intelligently helps you lay out that image that you then save as your lock, lock screen and, and you're good to go. So pretty good. Thank you for uh, for sharing that, Donna. I, I like that. It's pretty cool. I this I never thought about doing this with my lock screen before, John. So I'm I'm excited that that this now exists. So I don't know. What do you think? Any uh, any thoughts on that? Um.
1: Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, I stood for in case of emergency. So I uh, see. I learned
0: something new too. Five new things. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh. All right. Robert takes us. To uh yeah, he oh, we were talking about home kit controllers in the last episode and apps that can show you more or a different view of your home kit data. And Robert does a lot of this smart home stuff. Uh in fact, I might need to send you an email, Robert. I've got some questions for you. Uh he says, uh my well, my father in law just bought a house that has a, a Lutron system in it. And so I have a feeling that there will, there will be many questions to me about Lutron anyway. Uh, so if anybody knows anything, let me know. I might need to pick your brains. Um, but uh, if for now, for all of us, Robert says for HomeKit, this app called controller for HomeKit. Of course, there's links in the show notes at MacGeekCab.com. You can get the show notes emailed to you. Just go to MacGeekCab.com, put in your email address and boom, you're on the list. You get the show notes emailed to you every single time. Uh, But he says it includes the, in his words, missing backup and restore of a HomeKit configuration, which can be super helpful if you munch things up in your configuring. He says, and it actually has a logging function so you can see what's going on. The author has pushed to the very limits of what Apple will let him do. It's not perfect, but it's an awesome diagnostic slash configuration tool. Not the best user interface, he says, but really a great utility. And then another app called Home Plus 4, uh, he says, is a great alternative to the Apple Home app for seeing hidden data and features of devices and programming automations. Uh, I believe Controller for HomeKit is free with a premium version that lets you at store your backups. Like I think in the, in the free version backups are only around for 10 minutes or something. Um, whereas in the, you know, in the uh, paid version, they stick around and uh, home plus four, I think is 14 bucks or something. But again, if you're certainly, if you're doing this stuff for a living, but even if you just have a lot of home kit devices in your home, I can totally see where the price for either of these immediately makes sense. So good stuff. Any, uh, any thoughts before we move on here, my friend,
1: no uh smart things uh updates their stuff, and that makes me happy.
0: That's good, yeah, you've sort of standardized on on smart things as your as your home hub, if you will, right,
1: yeah, well, you know, especially since wink did their thing, but right. apparently the thing that wink did, apparently they're still there. I thought it was a deal breaker, but Oh, I guess for uh enough people or maybe not, yeah, yeah, maybe it and was the thing that saved them, yeah. Uh, could be it yeah. was a hard choice to make
0: yeah yeah sure absolutely all right well it looks like maybe they did it with some data or or got lucky with their guess chris uh Tells us about, he says, I was listening to episode 820 with regard to Ian's question about disk wiping, and I thought I'd mention something. For a number of years, he says, I've been securely erasing my unused hard drives and those of all my clients for a small fee, of course, with the Weeby Tech Drive Eraser Ultra. Again, links in the show notes. He says, it wipes drives to various government secure erase standards, US, UK, and Canada. Uh, and it's all done offline. There is no PC or Mac required. The device operates as a standalone drive eraser. He says it's been an awesome product for me, and as a consultant, he says it's made me a couple of quid over the years. I've had it too, uh, so very cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's handy for uh, for people who who need to wipe wipe drives out. Pretty good, yeah. Thoughts, my friend. Um. It's interesting
1: the the um when we we talked about this topic uh well we linked the, there was an article but the uh it would seem that the conventional wisdom that doing like you know seven passes or something like that isn't really necessary these days. Mm. Well I guess it couldn't hurt. It's just it takes a real long time especially yeah. with with a rotational drive oh, yeah. so um yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right uh what did you find i've been playing around with the new samsung t7 portable ssd it's their uh, USB C based drive it i've i've been they say it tests up to uh a thousand megabytes per second in either direction my tests have gotten it up pretty close to that 800 writes and 880 reads uh, were the fastest i was able to get out of it which is great and it's bus powered, works great from my uh, from my laptop, you know, no problems there or anything. In fact, that's where I got the fastest speeds, believe it or not, on my MacBook Air, uh, as opposed to like the iMac here in the studio where actually I got things a little slower. But I've got other stuff on the Thunderbolt bus here, so I don't really count that against anyone. Um, there 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 might be reasons for that that are outside of anyone's control but mine. But but um, but yeah, I tested it, you know, and it in lightweight. Portable, it's got a um, it comes with a cable, but it's it's got a port on it. It's not it doesn't have the cable baked into the enclosure, which uh, which some drives do. And it's, an, you know, an aluminum enclosure. I, I presume it's some sort of metal, but it feels like, you know, solid kind of aluminum thing, lightweight. Uh, you know, we've been testing a lot of different drives, Thunderbolt and um, and and USB C. Thunderbolt drives are great because you can get that, you know, especially if you've got an NVMe drive, you can get up to, you know, whatever, uh, you know, 2,500 megabytes a second or something uh, on a, you know, on a single drive, which is awesome. But, you know, it comes with power requirements. It comes with the fact that it ends the bus, Uh, you know, they're not pass-through devices. So it's not necessarily the Thunderbolt drives are not necessarily for everyone. If you need them, then they are for you, for sure. But if you don't, well, maybe they're not for you. So, uh I'm really I'm 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 leaning a lot more towards USB drives, especially these drives that can do the, you know, they're the 10 gig USB drives, so they're f- plenty fast for what most of us are doing almost all the time. Uh and you know, you're not paying the thunderbolt tax either. This drive's like in a 1 terabyte, I think it's like 200 bucks. So it's, you know, it's a pretty good. Pretty good little thing and USB 3.1 opens that door up, which is good. So, thoughts on this, John? Yeah. yeah.
1: Um it, it sounds like you didn't mention a feature or maybe this is a different version of it, but the the, the when I went to the link here, it looks like they also have a
0: fingerprint reader. It, not on the um <clears throat> Not on the one that I got. So maybe I put the wrong link in the show notes here.
1: Okay. It looks like, uh, okay. And actually they show two different ones. So, so okay. they have a version of it that has a fingerprint reader and that's used to enable encryption. AES right. 56, uh, which that sounds pretty nifty. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So the silver, it looks like that they have one that's, yeah, you you see it on the page there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah it's a, there's the T7 and then there's the T7 Touch and and you're right mm-hmm. I've in the show notes at the moment I will change the link in the show notes to be the um the the T7 not the T7 Touch but, but unless you want the T7 Touch and then by all means go get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um Yeah, but the T7 price wise yeah, 180 for the 1 terabyte uh without the touch sensor and then hmm. 350 for the two terabyte with it. So yeah, there you go. There you go. Great. Yeah, nice catch, John. Nice catch. Uh, all right. Jeremy. Speaking of security and T's, although we're not really talking about uh it's not the T's don't mean the same thing in these scenarios. But um any Mac with a T2 chip It has been very, very difficult, nay impossible for users to replace the SSD in them because the SSD and the T2 chip are tied to each other and it takes some Apple magic to 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 let the T2 chip know it's okay to accept a different SSD. Well, recently Apple announced a hard drive upgrade for the Mac Pro and the Mac pro uses a T two chip and Apple has a piece of software because their Mac pro SSD kits will sell you a new SSD to replace the one that's in your Mac pro. And so they will also give you the software to tell your Mac pro that it's okay to accept this new SSD, which means that you can actually do this. Uh, And it makes the Mac pro even that much more repairable, which is pretty cool. Now, I don't think this opens up any hope for those of us that have non Mac Pro T2 based machines like your 16-inch, you know, MacBook Pro or My Air or even the Mini, right? So I wouldn't like hold out hope that Apple's just gonna make this software available for all their machines, but it is interesting that they have allowed this for even one of their machines. So I thought that was cool. And that's why when Jeremy sent it in, I put it in. Cool stuff found. So what do you think about that, Mr. Mr. Braun?
1: Um, yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, for, for what you pay for that machine,
0: Yeah. Exactly. You get a
1: little extra.
0: Yeah. You, well, you should, you should be able to keep it for a while. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I have had some, in fact, I had a few people ask if I would finally talk about this on the show. I, the, the, the new Sonos Arc is their soundbar, uh, that came out recently, uh, just before WWDC was when we were allowed to start talking about it for reviews, I put up my review online at at, at Mac Observer and then sort of the world got even crazier. And uh, But I only put up the first half of my review there uh, because I was not yet able to test it with Dolby Atmos, which is one of its flagship features, at least in terms of the way that Sonos is promoting it. But I will say that before we talk about Atmos, I will say this. I used this thing for several weeks before I was able to get an Atmos signal to it in a reliable way that I could do with 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 our TV. And I will talk about that in a minute because that that's its own little geek challenge, if you will. This speaker is the most immersive speaker I've ever tested in the living room from Sonos or from anybody else. It's, it's, it's a wider speaker than they've ever made before. And that helps, but it's also got, you know, it's got more speakers in it, uh, more drivers in it. It's got drivers that again, because it's got Atmos support that aim up as well as out. It tunes to your room and it it's really smart about bouncing sound around for the first week that we tested it. We didn't hook it up to a subwoofer or rear speakers or anything, and we never missed having those, despite having had them, you know, the day before. They did a really nice job with this speaker. It's not inexpensive. It is their pro level or their premium level, I should say, not pro level, but because it, you don't need to be a pro to install this. It's just like any other Sono speaker. You sort of plug it in and, and you're you're done. Uh, but it's eight hundred bucks, seven ninety nine US. Really wide soundstage. Our living room has us sitting about fifteen feet back from the TV which is quite a ways back. And so some sound bars, by the time the sound gets to us, it just feels like this, you know, mono tunnel thing, not at all the case with the Sonos Arc. It really kind of surrounded us with sound, even though it was all coming from straight in front of us, clear sound, full, rich, low end without a subwoofer. It sounds even better with a subwoofer, of course. Uh, but, uh, and it, and, and the surround gets even better when you have rear speakers behind you, but really immersive um and you know nowadays we're watching a lot of stuff at home that we would otherwise be going out to see uh, you know the the additional expense of of a premium soundbar like this kind of makes a lot of sense so I I'm I've been loving this thing it really is my favorite speaker we've ever had in the living room and and we're blessed we get to test a lot of different things so uh so there you go and it, you know it it they they are leaving the beam in which is their, their, it's predecessor. I don't want to say it's not, wasn't their first soundbar, but it's their predecessor or the, the arcs predecessor. They're leaving the beam in the product line, uh, as the sort of entry level one. And I'll say the, that beam has served our living room very, very well for several years. So no complaints at all. This is most definitely a step up, step up. Now, John, where it gets interesting is Dolby Atmos. Um, uh, I will cut to the chase because I'm going to wind up talking about a couple other products here and and say that, yes, with Atmos support, the Arc certainly delivers that Atmos experience with sound bouncing above you and all of that. But quite frankly, the difference is subtle because the Arc is doing so much work that even with a 5.1 signal... It's still trying its best to extract out things that it thinks should, you know, bounce around and create that immersion that the difference between an Atmos signal and a 5.1 signal, it's there for sure. And if you're watching the right movie, like Hitman's bodyguard was awesome with, you know, the all of, because there's so many car chase scenes and crazy things like that, like things like that, you will get there. But even if you don't, or can't get Atmos to this thing, and it's a trick right now, uh, you're still going to get the experience of that immersion in the the Sonos Arc. So now, in terms of getting Atmos to a device like this, it's got an HDMI eARC input. And what that means is it's getting its sound from an audio return channel. That's what ARC stands for um, in HDMI land, audio return channel. You need a switch box that is capable of sending Atmos sound, which is 7.1, regular speakers, 0.1 subwoofer. That's what that means. 5.1 means five regular speakers. That'd be center, left, right, and then rear, left, and right. That's five. And then the sub is 0.1. With Atmos, you're adding the, you know, the up and, and down speakers. I think that's what it adds. Um, it's or Maybe it's two ups. I can't remember. But, it you know, it's adding two more to that. You need to have a switch box that will take the HDMI signal and break out the 7.1 sound and send that in the you know, arc or eARC format. And it, it'll take both depending on how, whether you want to deal with compression or not. The only switch boxes that exist to do this are built into some, but me, not most TVs. I looked, trust me. I tried all the different switch boxes that said you can, Oh yeah, we'll do it. No problem. No, you won't. They only exist in TVs. And so With that, I thought, well, I got to test this thing. Naturally, John, I can't live without testing this thing properly. I'm supposed to be doing a review. So I reached out to my friends at LG because as as I understand, LG makes the best OLED screen. And I know that their current screens uh, support eARC out with Dolby Atmos. In fact, the LG uh, CX series TVs even will do Atmos from just their own built in soundbar. So I got one of these um one of these TVs to to mess with. Holy cow. I like they were happy to send me one, probably because they knew that I was burying the lead asking them to send me a TV just to be a switchbox. And it works fine as a switchbox and it truly allowed me to test the the you know the Atmos features as I mentioned, right? But this TV is the perfect TV for us Apple people, John. And and I didn't I really didn't even know this until I opened the door. And I'm I I, I need to talk to the folks at, at LG and and ask them like, "Did you know that I was going to find all these other features? Like you didn't tell me about these. This was interesting." Um it was set up was easy. We hooked up Ethernet, but we could have easily hooked up Wi-Fi. But what this TV has, I mean, first of all, <laughs> let me not bury the lead. That old LED screen, John, th- th- there, this is only a review unit, but, uh, there is no way my family's going to let me not have this TV in our living room. We get the 65 inch. We have a, a 60 pro it, it, the, it's, I mean, we've seen OLED on our, on our iPhones 10 and, and, and all of that, right. And, and 11 pro and, and all and the 10 max and, you know, all those, um, it really makes a difference on the big screen and the pricing has come down like this 65 inch screen is just a little over two grand. So it's not, you know, it's not like it's, you you know, it's not like five years ago when it was, you know, you're going to spend five figures on a, uh, you know, on an OLED screen. So it's totally within, you know, the, the realm of reasonability for what you're getting. So you are getting this screen and the blacks on it because it can turn the pixels off. So black is off. It's truly black. Um, the pi- yeah, the I think pic-
1: that's that's the key with OLED. I think is that the contrast ratio. I think that that figure. Yeah, and that yeah that's the crazy. the 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 darks are darker than
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: They are in other screens, which is good. You're getting more, I guess, dynamic range.
0: Exactly. And then it's got all the support for all that dynamic range, uh, you know, all the the Dolby Vision and, and all of that stuff, too, that ties in. Of course, it's a 4K screen and all that stuff. But really where it gets great is with LG's WebOS. WebOS, I mean, I've had smart TVs before and ignored their smartness because smart TVs have always been sort of a disaster. Not so with LG's WebOS. I mean, I've only had this thing for like three weeks. It has an app store in it. And in that app store, you get the things that you would expect. You get, you know, Plex, uh, which is great to connect to my local library. You get Disney Plus. You get, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, CBS, like all the things. There's tons of apps. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm bearing the lead. There's an Apple TV Plus app in there. So I can connect to all my Apple TV plus stuff, I don't need an Apple TV in my living room anymore with this TV. It covers that. Now, I don't get all the Apple TV apps, right? I get the Apple TV content, but if what you're if you're mm-hmm. playing so if you're playing games on the Apple TV then yes, you would need an Apple TV. But if what you're using the Apple TV for is to connect also from you know, in addition to Apple TV to Netflix and all, you know, all of those other things, well you don't need that because it's baked into WebOS, and I've seen updates for the Netflix app, the Plex app, and the Apple TV app in just the last three weeks. Like they are, they're not just they didn't just put this out there and ignore it. They are taking this like this is a serious platform for them, and it's not brand new. They've had this platform, this WebOS platform, for a while.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have it too. Oh, you do. I have an, well, my my uh, downstairs TV, my 4K UHD TV, is a it is an LG.
0: And so, can you put the Apple TV app on it, or is it uh, is is the Apple TV app available for that TV? Um,
1: it should be. I mean, it's the same. Yeah, store. I mean, I got the apps that you mentioned. So yeah. I have Netflix. I got Plex. You know, at first when I upgraded my TV and my uh, Blu Ray player, yeah, um, to 4K units, I was like, eh, you know, should I do the connected? Smart thing, right? Right. Both of those devices uh, will connect to the internet if you if you if you want them. If you let them, sure. Yeah. And at first, I was like, you know, the privacy thing. Are they snooping on me? Are they you you know, right? Looking at what I'm watching? And it's like, and at some point, you're just like, do I really care if they know what I'm
0: watching? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Netflix know. knows what you're watching, right? I mean, there's no question about that. Oh, it, absolutely.
1: Right. To make recommendations, so it's, totally it's good for you
0: it, um, in theory. Yeah. I mean, it's good for yeah. them too because they know what you're watching, and so they tailor more content to you, right? Like, yeah, so and
1: Tivo knows what you're watching. Totally. If you, well, you can opt out. I think. I you, think a lot of right. these, you can yeah. opt out if
0: you want to. But um. But we've been like th- this LG WebOS has been awesome, and in addition to that, it's an AirPlay destination so i can stream i like that part of the apple tv i also don't need because it's built right in it just shows up as a device like an airplay device and i can stream video to it and quite Mm -hmm. frankly it seems a little more reliable airplay for whatever reason airplay in our living room has always been kind of flaky in terms of video uh but with with the TV it's been way more reliable than it than it ever had with with the Apple TV. So I'm I'm blown away. like this is the TV that as an Apple user I want in my living room because it, it lets me do all the things plus it lets me see my Apple TV stuff, plus it lets me airplay. Like they the webOS they've done a fantastic job with it. And it's, it I wouldn't say like if you're I mean if you're listening to the show you're almost certainly an Apple household, but if you're not an Apple household like it it's It's not like you, this is exclusive to us, Apple people. they've just built a wide platform that's really built to support everybody i I'm super impressed, so anyway, I wanted to share that too, so
1: yeah, navigation I found was sometimes weird, yeah, unless you know like at one point, I was like, well, how do I change this setting and it wasn't clear to me from the icons on the t v yep um. But then I found that there's, uh, I guess it's a, it's a home button on the remote that gets you to a place kind of like a lot of phones, Um, but it gets you to a place where you can then see what your options are. Um, Yeah. so that was, that's my only gripe about it is, uh, Trying to navigate it uh, can be a challenge until you know about this.
0: It, it, yeah, I, I'll agree with that. We it did take us a couple of days to to be like, oh, okay, I I get it now. Um, you know, the, now this user interface. Now I know where I am and why. Uh, but yeah, it's I'm really impressed with it. They um, like like I said, it it blew me away. I had no idea what it was I was about to experiment with. I thought I was just getting a TV with the switch box that I, I thought I was getting a switch box that I needed and it happened to have to come inside of a TV. Um, but, uh, but yeah, very quickly. I wonder, I wonder if mine supports Atmos. Hmm. I don't. Well,
1: because I'm using my LG as a switch box. We, we right. talked about this before. Right. It was like, well, right. you know, I want to, you know, do, you know, sound, but my old tuner. Um, right. Uh, I think didn't they, understand the, the, the higher uh, higher definition yeah. feed as far as I could tell. So I'm like, okay, well. Is it what, a
0: 2019 or do? a 2020? Because I think that's when they added that. St- yeah. Okay. So you, yeah, you might, you may very well. Yeah. 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 It's, I'm blown away. I'm really, really impressed. So, uh, all right. We have some more questions to get to. Thankfully, we have the time to do that. First though. What I want to do is talk about our next two sponsors, if that's all right with you, my friend. All right. All right. Look, you're a geek or you're working to be a geek. You're learning to be a geek. The time is going to come probably pretty soon when you're going to want a server and you're going to want a server from server geeks. From people that know how to manage a server, how to set up a server, how to do all the things that you want to do with your server. Sometimes you're going to want to get geeky, but that might not be the case right out of the gate. And that's why Linode, our sponsor here, is a great place to start because they know That sometimes you want to be geeky and sometimes you just want them to be geeky. So you can use their cloud manager so that you can just set up your server without ever seeing command line or you can start it right from the command line. Their pricing is fantastic. They understand that not everybody needs all of the CPU speed, but they do know that everybody wants SSD drive speeds. You don't want that slowing you down, so they give that to everybody, even on their $5 a month Nanode servers. That's right. You can get started for just 5 bucks a month. And their customer support department, if you need any help, is a no-tiered customer support department. You get best in class first response resolution from them. So you got to check this out. And... It gets even better because we have a deal for you. Just use our link, Linode.com slash MGG, to get signed up and you get a $20 credit instantly added to your account. Yep, you can use it for up to four months of a uh, Nanode server or apply it any way you want. Linode.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. When was the last time you opened a PDF? It was probably earlier today or maybe yesterday, right? Well... You don't just want to open PDFs. You want to be able to manipulate them. You want to be able to make these PDFs do what you need them to do for you. And that could be changing some things, redacting some things, adding some things. This is why you want PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro 12 and now 12.1 because they have arrived. Our sponsors, Smile, of course, makes PDF Pen And really, it is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac. And now they've added some features, including page label support in multiple formats for documents. Pro users can go a step further with the ability to add or edit page labels. And those are added to the features that were already in PDF Pen 12, including that cool magnifier window to zoom in on a document and even zoom across documents. Very, very cool. You got to experience it customizable compression settings so that you get exactly the size that you want with the quality of the PDF that you want. And they've got some uh, stationery with new paper colors, custom page designs, And of course, all the features that we've known and loved in PDF pen for a long time, including one of my favorites, which is the ability to bulk redact text. So, you know, it's sending tax forms around. It's weird that it's July and it's that time of the year, but it is that time of the year. Well, you might not want your tax ID on everything. You can just use PDF pen to find and redact in bulk all your social security numbers and tax IDs and things like that. So go check it out. Go to smile slash podcast. And our thanks to smile and PDF pen for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, Ron has a question for us, John. Can we answer Ron's question? I think you're muted, but I'll, I'll take that as a yes. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's me. I think it's you. Uh, Yeah. okay. Uh, Ron says a vexing issue after one of the recent updates, especially with Microsoft and Adobe apps, is the annoying verifying dialogue. And this is the one that comes up. It's got uh, it's a modal dialogue, which means it it just sits in front of everything. And it uh, is a house with a, a combination lock on it. It looks like. And it says verifying and then whatever the app is and you get a progress bar and you could cancel it. But then you're also, I think, canceling the launch of the app. But I might not be right about that. But anyway, he says it's happening with so many apps. It's ridiculous. Uh, What can I do about this? So I've seen this before. Certainly, I've seen it when I launch an app for the first time. And I've also seen it where apps recur more than they should. And I've solved this in the past, John, by using Onyx, and I, I, I've I, sort of let it do everything, but the parts that I think are the answer here are are the either rebuilding the launch services database or also the DYLD shared cache, maybe the XPC cache. But one of those three, to me, seems like the thing where this is stored, and it has solved it for me. Uh, Rebuilding the at least those three. Have you have you experienced this, and have, do you have any like any I've better run into ideas? This
1: with I've run into this with some of my App Store apps. Okay, and sometimes it'll come up and say, "Oh, well, this app was purchased with a different iCloud account, or I need your credentials again." So it's it's doing some integrity checking, right? Um, I think uh, when I've had this happen, and it would get through the verifying step, but then it would repeat the verifying step. Sometimes I found deleting the app, um, <laughs> oh, reinstalling it, uh, yeah. so it, has solved it for me when I've had this happen. But but it doesn't happen too often, huh? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully one of those takes care of it. So, uh, Bill has uh he he asks he says today i signed up for a trial apple music subscription the first time i opened the music app on my iMac running 10.155 I got a message asking me if I wanted to merge my music libraries. I chose no at the time as I want to know more about the pros and cons of merging my libraries. I also found uh that there was a web page from Apple which gave me a support page that gave me some information on this. He says, I have some questions. I don't want to merge. uh, I don't want the merge to screw up the music library on my iMac, which is 75% songs I ripped from my own CDs and 25% iTunes purchases. He says, I'm far more concerned about the 75% than the 25, obviously. Uh, He says, my library is currently manually synced between my iMac, iPhone, and iPad. So what additional benefit will there be if I merge? I do also have a MacBook Pro, but it also has the same music thanks to home sharing. I've stopped buying CDs and now only buy from iTunes uh, or Apple music. Do they still call it iTunes? I think. Yeah, I don't know. It's it gets so confusing um, that I can easily download to the MacBook Pro. He says consistent playlists is touted as yet another feature. However, all devices other than my MacBook Pro have the same playlists anyway. In reality, I hardly ever listen to music on my MacBook Pro. I know that I can create Apple playlists there. Will they automatically appear on all devices, even if I don't merge my libraries and uh, he says there's a warning that came with this that uh, that concerns me. He says if the warning says if you choose to replace the music library on your iPhone, iPad or iPod touch, the music files on this device are deleted. The original files are kept on the Mac you previously synced them from and iTunes store purchases are always available to download again. Um, he says the the bullet about matching music uh, on the above reference webpage also has me concerned And I believe I can download songs from Apple Music to play offline when streaming isn't available. Is it safe to assume that they disappear when I cancel my Apple Music subscription? So these are great questions. Um, The first thing that I'd recommend to you or anybody that's doing anything with merging libraries, or really, if you have a library you care about, even if you're not planning on doing a merge, is make regular backups of that music library. I have mine backup. I think it's twice a week. Uh, so that it syncs. And it, and then it's like my backup is that I copy my music library to my Synology disk station. And from there, it's available uh, to my Sonos system locally and also to my Plex and all of that. So, so it's all sort of there, which is great. Uh, so do that. And um, yeah, so. I have a tip to share it at the end of all this. Um, you'll probably be fine merging things. There were some issues with it. When Apple music first came out, there were some issues with it prior to Apple music because it was being done with iTunes match. But, um, but you should be, you should be okay with it now. I haven't heard of anybody having issues since then. Um, uh, but be, you know, make that backup and that way you, you can always restore and you're fine. Um, I enjoy the freedom of being able to add music to playlists that when, you know, when I'm on remote, like I, my kids and I build playlists for each other, especially now that, well, they're back in the house now because of of COVID, but you know, with them sort of being off at school and all that stuff, it's kind of a nice way to, to connect. And so we build playlists and I'll think of songs, you know, while I'm out and about. And it's nice to be able to kind of do that uh, from your, you know, from my iPhone and, and, and then just have it all there. I like having things all sync together. It's it, I truly have one music library now, similar to how those of us that use iCloud photos have one photos library, right? And, you know, and that's a handy thing. A big feature of Apple music that, kind of got missed in all of your questions bill is that you get access to stream all of the music you don't own, right? Like that's a big part of what you're paying for is the ability to stream basically anything or certainly anything that is in Apple music. And that can be great, you know, and, and even fun for building these playlists and stuff with my kids. Cause I know they have Apple music too, because we have a family subscription. So I can put stuff on there that I don't necessarily own, and off it goes, and and it's great. Uh, works really, really well. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. And and with those songs, if you're off, they are able to be streamed offline. If you're you know offline for any reason, including on an airplane, but it doesn't matter. You know wherever you are, I think it's a thirty day timer. Your your device has to be able to log in once every thirty days to Apple Music. Otherwise, it expires you. Um, you, you know, and and it just renders those downloaded songs unplayable. Uh, They are in a DRM format. If they're Apple music songs, if they're your songs that you have synced down from Apple music, they do not expire. Those are yours. So if you purchased them from iTunes or you ripped them on your own, no problem. So yeah, I, I think it's a good thing. I don't know. Do you still use Apple music, John? Um, I never really did. Okay.
1: Use any of apples. No, I got my library. Um, which uh, hasn't changed much, but I have it on the uh, have it on my Synology and then broadcast it using DLNA, I think. Okay. And then um, play it through the HEOS. Actually, oh, I'm right. having a problem with my HEOS oh, no. these days. That's not good. Huh. Yeah, well, they have a special setup setup. Uh, yeah, I moved it, and when I plugged it in, it didn't join my network. So I'm like, oh, well, let's go through the setup again. And it's having problems connecting to my network. Huh. Uh, maybe Fing is, uh, is, oh, doesn't like what it sees happening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, the, the one tip that I came up with is <clears throat> I, when you're backing up your music library, you want to make sure you back up two things. If you store your music library on your boot drive, you only have one thing to back up and that is Home Music Music or if you're pre-Catalina, it's Home Music iTunes. But if you are storing your library on an external drive, which is what I do, then you want to back up that folder plus a uh whatever folder you have it stored in on whatever external device. So you just want to make sure you get everything the data files and the library files. That's important. Now, when I was looking at all this and making sure I had my folder names right, John, because we are in Catalina land and I needed to check my brain, um, I noticed that I also had a home music iTunes folder still on my machine. And I looked and it had not been updated in a very long time because We're using home music music now that we're on Catalina and that folder had two gigs of data in it. Mostly it was iTunes artwork that was cached. So I jettisoned that uh, very happily and freed up two gigs of data. So maybe there's a hidden tip here, even for all of us that are already on Apple music for anybody storing music with Catalina or using music with Catalina, check that home folder, home music, and see if there's an iTunes folder in there. Go wipe that out. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, we have a couple of tips to share from recent episodes, John. And uh, the first comes in our forums at MacGeekUp.com slash forums from listener Mike. We were talking about making sure you leave in the last episode uh, about how you you, could, you should leave your Wi-Fi turned on, on even on your desktop Macs. Even on your Ethernet connected desktop Macs, so that you get the benefits of all of Apple's like handoff and continuity features and Apple Watch unlock and all of that. Well, the one potential issue, and we talked about it in the last episode, was making sure that your Ethernet connection is prioritized higher than your Wi Fi one because they're both going to have IP addresses and you want to make sure your traffic is going over Ethernet, even though Wi Fi is available. Well, Mike tells us, he says, uh, you recommended doing this. He says, however, if you're on a computer that stays put, i.e. non-laptop systems, I would recommend additionally having the Wi-Fi on but not connected to any network. You'll still get all the continuity features benefit because Wi-Fi is enabled, but without having that extra IP address because you're not connected to any network. You just have the Wi-Fi chip and radio on. And so the way to do this, as Mike details is to do two things. Open up network system preferences. First, uncheck the box that says ask to join new networks and then go to the advanced screen and uncheck your home Wi-Fi there so that it's not auto joining your home Wi-Fi every time it sees it. And that, and then turn your Wi-Fi off and back on because you're probably already going to be on your home Wi-Fi. So turn it off and back on. You got to hit apply there. Otherwise, none of these settings take effect. But once you do that, turn it off and back on and now your Wi-Fi will just sit happily on. I have seen mine like, you know, I use Bartender on my Mac and I hide the Wi-Fi icon unless it's 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 doing something and then it comes back up. And so I have seen it come back up a couple of times because it is doing it's like searching for networks because I didn't uncheck everything. I only unchecked the, the networks that are local because I have probably a hundred networks in my Wi-Fi list because they're common to all my devices, and I didn't want to uncheck a hundred times. I didn't find a way to uncheck in bulk, so um, so that was the only annoyance. As I occasionally see my wi- my Wi-Fi icon sort of cycle through, but but otherwise this this works perfectly fine. So thank you for that, Mike. It's good. Any any thoughts on that one, John? Before we uh, no, on? I'll have to. Uh...
1: No, I'm set up that way. I have Ethernet. Primary and then Wi-Fi on as well because I wanted to get the continuity features Right, but I am getting an IP address, yeah. which isn't really a problem. No, but um, yeah, but it's good to know how to take it a step further if you don't want exactly. Yeah, exactly. Them fighting with each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you want to just avoid that, I do have one Mac that I really I just need to replace the cable. It's Lisa's iMac in the house. The, um, it's one of those Ethernet cables where the tab broke off so it can fall out of the back of her Mac yeah. Mini. Well, but I just leave Wi Fi on. And then uh, mm-hmm. I have Fing tell me if that, because I have my Fing box on my network. I have it alert me if the, the Mac mini at that Mac address, the Mac addresses of the Wi-Fi and Ethernet are different, so I have it alert me if that goes offline, and then I know to go, just go plug it back in. But really, I should just get a a you know a new cable. It needs to be about a 20-foot cable. Or, so
1: Or put a new, come on, you don't have a, a crimping tool?
0: Uh, no, that's for, true, uh, I do.
1: For an RJ45? Yeah, okay. I could do that. Yeah, I, I could do that. Yeah. That's actually a much easier solution. Put yeah. a new tip on. Yeah, yeah. Or a so, new... new uh, connector i've had that too though where, yeah. yeah the the plastic ages and yeah. and it snaps off
0: right yep so yeah, you're right though i should just crimp a new one on mm. that's a good point uh lastly before or,
1: or duct tape duct tape well make it make it a, so you make it a little larger so it won't fall out because duct tape solves all
0: problems. all problems that's what that's what i learned watching macgyver as a child john <laughs> <laughs> bailing wire and duct tape solves everything uh one last thing from listener Lauren is uh we were talking. I I opened the last episode by saying this five finger swipe to move between spaces is awesome. And I accidentally did it and then I had to come back. I was a hundred percent wrong. Well, I was twenty percent wrong. It's a four finger swipe, not a five finger swipe. You can set it though, if you go into system preferences trackpad more gestures. The gesture is swipe between full screen apps, and if you don 't have any full screen apps open and you swipe, it just brings you to a new space aka a nice blank, clean desktop. Um, you can change it to four fingers or three fingers. There is no option for five fingers, so thank uh. you thank you, Lauren, for setting me straight so it's but it 's definitely four or 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 three, so there you go. All right, well, that brings us to the end of this lovely time we've had together here, folks. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for sending in all your questions and your tips and your cool stuff found and for setting us straight. That's right, we sandwiched this episode with people setting me straight, John, five fingers and big sirs. So, and then we put a bunch more information in the middle. So I definitely learned at least two things. Like it would be impossible for me to have made it through this episode without that. But, but actually, I learned a lot more than, than that. So I, I feel good on my five for the week. So thank you, everyone, for helping me fill my five. Hopefully, John, you filled your five as well. Yeah, you just reminded me
1: it's lunchtime because you said sandwich.
0: I did. I made a sandwich of, of tips <laughs> and delicious things. Uh, we made a, an, a, a sandwich of, of uh, the bread was, was corrections and the middle was an eye cloud of uncertainty. Wasn't it? Mm. I don't know, man. You got to get me out of here. I I think, I think, I think I too need to eat something. Uh, Yeah. Thanks so much for everything. Thanks for visiting our sponsors. Of course, expressvpn.com slash mgg, ancestry.com slash mgg, uh, com slash mgg, PDF pen at com slash podcast. Thanks to the wonderful folks at cashfly, for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks for following us on Twitter at MacGeekCab, at John F. Braun, at Dave Hamilton, at Pilot Pete. He will be back. Uh, all our other sponsors. which you can see at MacGeekCab.com slash sponsors. All the active deals, even if the sponsors aren't active, are there. So go check that out, too. All right, Mr. Braun. I think we've made it all the way through. Is there anything else?
1: Hmm Sandwich um Oh is there anything else? Yes, there is. Not one, not two, but three things, and the three things I have to tell you are don't get caught. Made up.